0: Hey, local church. Uh, Super happy to be here today, uh, sharing with you guys what the Lord's put on my heart uh, for this week uh, as we move through our Lent series. Um, So as we come near the end of Holy Week, one of the last things that Jesus does as a part of his earthly ministry is have a shared meal with his disciples. Uh, The Last Supper is one of the most recognizable moments in the Bible. We see homages to it recreated all through pop culture, everything from the, The Simpsons to Marvel Comics. Uh, Even Photoshop versions of it using famous celebrities, if you've seen anything like that. Uh, Of course, one of the most famous paintings of all time uh, is of The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. So most people, if you mention The Last Supper, will know exactly what it is you're talking about. Um, But do most people really know what happened at The Last Supper or why it happened or maybe the theological or biblical significance of it? Uh, My guess is probably not if you were to ask just the everyday folk Um, so when we dig into what is really going on at this meal uh, there's a lot that we can unpack we can look at the significance of it being a passover meal and what that tells us about jesus and his death we can look at allusions to the old testament and break down how it fulfills certain prophecies from the jewish scriptures Uh, but today i don't want to talk about those things Today, I wanna to focus on chapter 17 of John's gospel, which is Jesus's final prayer for his disciples at the Last Supper. So if you turn with me to John 17, verse 20 to 23, it says this, I pray not only for these, that's his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And that, that's us. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Heavenly Father, speak to us today through your word. Convict us, challenge us, edify us, make us more like you. Amen. In my line of work, I see some of the worst that humanity has to offer. For those of you who don't know, I work for Coca-Cola as a sales rep, and I spend my days in grocery stores. Now, let me tell you, if you don't think that grocery shoppers are the worst, that's because you're it. Like, you, that's just you. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I do see uh, the worst of people. Um, I often see the worst in myself when I'm at work, um, when I become impatient uh, because an elderly woman is, is walking slowly in front of me as if my time is more valuable than hers, or when I become angry or really judgmental of the people I see shopping about. Unfortunately, it's easy for me to fall into this trap of thinking these things and feeling these things because it's, it's all in my head. The people that I'm becoming impatient with or judging angrily, they can't hear me doing it. They may see it on my face, but that's a different issue. The point is, in that moment, the only person holding me accountable for my actions is me. And I let myself get away with a lot. This is one of the many reasons why living in community is so important. Because a good community won't let you get away with anything. In the passage we read above, Jesus prays that all believers would be united, that we would be one. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the importance of living in community with other believers. If you are taking notes, uh, the title of this message is called Good Religion, and that will become clear as to why as we move forward. I think there are two principles that Christian community needs to be built on. I think without these two things, Christian community fails. And those two things are obedience and love. And I think this is evident in the Last Supper. You see, Jesus' prayer uh, that we read earlier, and ultimately his call for us to be united, comes at the very end of the story. There are four chapters of dialogue in John's gospel, where they are sitting around the table uh, leading up to this prayer, and in these four chapters of dialogue, we see some themes start to come through in what Jesus is telling the disciples. So we're going to fire through. I got like eight texts here, and we're just going to fire through them really quick, just so we can get a really good sense of what's going on at the Last Supper. John thirteen one. It says, "Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." John thirteen twelve. Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you should do just as I have done. John 13, 34, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 14, 12, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and I will come to him and make our home with him. John fifteen nine through 17, last one a little bit longer. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another. As I have loved you, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. For I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from the father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. All of these passages, this overview of what Jesus is talking about at the Last Supper, culminate in a prayer that all believers in Jesus would be united, would be one. And I think... I think that's on purpose. So why all this emphasis on unity? Why oneness? I think it's because without each other, it is impossible to do these things effectively. To remain obedient to God and to remain in his love and remain in love with one another without community, I think these things are truly impossible to accomplish. Good religion requires community, and good community fosters repentance. We have a responsibility to each other as Christians. We owe each other. We as a church have been called to do life together. Every single person watching right now has something to offer to you. An encouragement, an edification, a challenge, a correction. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling to the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace has been given to each one of us to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to the people. Verse 9. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness." Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So what Paul is saying is God has equipped the body, the church, with all of the tools it needs to build itself up, but it requires all of us to do our part. Looking back again in verse 16, that last verse, from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. If good community is meant to foster repentance. And I think this is this is inherent in this idea of building up the church to do its work, to equip the saints to do their work. It requires that we be repentant. So if good community is meant to foster repentance, how does this happen? And I think there are a few ways that this happens, but I want to touch on two ways in particular. The first one being accountability. Now this one is really obvious. I feel like but I feel like it's not something we talk about a lot. And I think the reason is twofold. One, we don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. Like, you don't know me, leave me alone. And two, we often feel like it's not our place to say anything. Um, and so I think these two things about human nature kind of work against um, the need, like the, 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 the they kind of work against accountability. And to some extent, both of these feelings are totally reasonable, right? When you don't know someone very well, and they come up to you and they try to tell you that you're not living, you ain't living right, it can be really frustrating. Like, who are you? You don't know me. And on the flip side, we don't want to be that person to somebody else. We don't wanna be the person that approaches someone and tell them that they aren't living their life right. But we do have to find this balance. Where on the one hand, we don't simply listen to every person that tries to correct us. And on the other hand, we wanna make sure that we are correcting the right people at the right time. This is where having close relationships with other believers really comes to the forefront. We should all have people in our lives that we trust to tell us when we aren't living right. This is where mentorship is really important. My Comfrey is someone who's become a mentor to me over the last year, and he is someone that when he tells me I've gone astray or he points out sin in my life, I'm going to listen very closely. I trust Mike. So find the people in your life that you can trust to call you out when you need to be called out. Because accountability leads to repentance. The second way I think is through example. This is the second way that um, I think repentance takes place. And this is sort of an indirect accountability, I suppose. We see the example of other people either from up close or from afar. And we can often be challenged or convicted to do things differently. How many times have you been in a situation where you've seen somebody doing something, uh, maybe you're on the stranger on the street is giving money to somebody who needs it. And you thought to yourself, ah, I could have done something. And honestly, the truth is, yeah, you could have done something. I'm not saying that we need to, you know, empty our bank accounts and, you know, give money or buy food to everyone that we see. But it is moments like this where we are challenged by the example of other people. Now imagine that, but every single week, or maybe even every single day. You come to church, you see your brothers and sisters in the faith doing all of these things, or perhaps not doing certain things. Imagine the nature of that. Not condemning but convicting, challenging. The example of other Christians gives us a template according to which we can judge ourselves. And this is, I think this is a really important point. We need to find the balance because there is a fine line between guilt-based self-loathing and pride-based self-righteousness. There's a fine line between guilt-based self-loathing and pride-based self-righteousness. And somewhere in the healthy middle is a humble, example-inspired repentance. We don't want to look at the people around us and become upset or guilty that we aren't living up to a particular standard. But we also don't want to look around us and become prideful, looking down on our brothers and sisters for not living according to our own standard. So how do we find this healthy middle? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. This is a challenge, and it's been a challenge since the very beginning. But the nice thing about being part of a church, and a church like Local, is that I have people in my life who can help me along the way. I have people in my life who can lift me up when I begin to condemn myself. And those very same people often are the people who can bring me down when I begin to condemn others. We need each other. Good community fosters repentance. So what does it look like to live faithfully in a community? We've talked about why it's important and the things it requires of us. But what does it look like in real life? In Galatians 3, 27 to 29, Paul says this. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew, no or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. In the early church, in the New Testament, and for a few hundred years after, there was a lot of debate between the differences between jewish and gentile christians did gentiles need to be circumcised did they need to keep sabbath were gentiles bound to the law in the way that the that the jewish christians were because you have to remember is when in in if it was here in the new testament or the first 100 years or so after jesus and you're a jewish person and you hear the messiah has come in jesus you say great i'm going to follow jesus there's no like intuitive, like your first intuition is just to keep being Jewish, right? Only now the Messiah has come. And so that has certain implications. And so what happens when a non-Jewish person starts to follow Jesus, which is now a possibility, then what's expected of them? Do they have to become Jewish? And so there's this ongoing debate and we see this in the book of Acts and we see this in Paul's letters and the other letters in the New Testament where there's this debate of like, how Jewish do Gentiles need to become? And ultimately Paul's conclusion is that in Christ, we are one. This is not to say that differences aren't important. They are important. They're part of what make us who we are. Diversity isn't a bad thing by any means. All of us, all of us watching online We come from different social, racial, ethnic, cultural, political, and even religious backgrounds. And the point is not to eliminate those things and pretend they don't exist. Rather, the goal is to, while acknowledging our differences, reach across those aisles, grab hold of each other and say, I love you. You are my brother, my sister, we're in this together. In the last few years, it has become very easy to consider people as other, as the enemy but not us. We are called to a higher standard than that. And that's because we are united by something that transcends all earthly divisions. We are united by the body and the blood of Jesus. We can disagree, we can hash it out, right? We can we can argue, we can debate, we can have these differences of agreement on different things, but don't let that disagreement rob you of the beauty of each other. We need to be able to look another believer in the eyes and say, "You are my brother, you are my sister." We may disagree, but we are united by the body and the blood of Jesus, so let's run this race together. I want to share a story, an example of this from history. Um, some of you may be familiar with these two figures. Uh, there were two men um, in the 1700s named George Whitfield and John Wesley. George Whitfield and John Wesley uh, were both students in. In the UK, I believe they were at Cambridge, maybe it was Oxford. I should have done my fact check. The point is, they were both students, very smart theologians, and they were the two founders of what we know today as the Methodist movement. Um, and they were they were students. They came up together, learning theology. They saw some some things in the in their home in their Anglican church that they wanted to. That they felt needed reform and they sort of sparked this second uh, reformation a couple hundred years after the the original protestant reformation and out of this spawned the methodist movement now the thing here though where this story kind of picks up is that george whitfield and john wesley disagreed pretty severely on a pretty important theological issue george whitfield was a calvinist And John Wesley was an Arminian. Now, if you don't know what these two words mean, then praise God. I will spare you the details. I have wasted more hours than I care to admit debating these words with my friends, ultimately coming to no uh, conclusions or agreements. But all you need to know is that these are two theological positions on a particular subject that are complete and total opposites to one another. Total antithesis. And so George Whitfield and John Wesley, as they are coming up in their studies, uh, building this relationship, starting the Methodist movement, they actually decide to part ways because of this disagreement. They decide that uh, this disagreement was sort of too substantial for them to continue to do ministry ministry together, so they parted ways. Um, They both continued their ministry separately. They both ended up coming to North America, ended up being key figures in the Great Awakening, the First Great Awakening. And as all of this is going on, one day Whitfield is asked by someone if he thought that he would see John Wesley in heaven. And this was clearly a trap, right? Whoever was asking this question is trying to start beef. They know... They know the they have this disagreement about this issue, and they're trying to trap Whitfield and get him, you know, saying something that he would regret about his friend John Wesley. So he asks him, "Do you think that you will see John Wesley in heaven?" And this is Whitfield's answer. He says, "No, I don't think I will." Could you imagine if the quote just ended there, <laughs> just like, "Nah, he won't be there." Uh, no, but that's not where the quote ends. He says, "No, I don't think I will." for he will be so close to the throne of God that I will not be able to catch a glimpse. Good religion requires community and good community fosters repentance. I started my message by telling you that I sometimes see the worst of humanity in myself. I don't see that when I come to church. I see godly friendships developing I see parents faithfully raising their children to love Jesus. I see pastors who have a heart and a desire to see their flock grow into all that God wants them to be. I see all of these things because human beings, us, we are designed to be in community because community is where we flourish. God says in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. We flourish when we're together. And good community fosters hearts that are turned towards God. We need each other. There's no way around it. If you're a Christian here today and you don't have a community that you call home, I encourage you to earnestly seek one out. If that's local, stoked. We're happy to have you. But if that's somewhere else, awesome. The point is, we need community. There's no way we can do this thing alone. We need each other. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I don't want to leave here and this without giving you the opportunity to begin that relationship with him. So we're going to pray. I'm going to pray and I want to invite you to pray with me to begin this journey with Jesus. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us first. Thank you that we don't need to do this alone. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you have said that prayer for the first time and you wanna begin this journey of um, living with Jesus and with other believers, I wanna encourage you to just drop it down in the chat, like reach out. Somebody will be happy to connect with you, um, talk to you about, you know, coming to our church in person or finding another church in your area that you can connect with, a place you can call home. Um, We just, we want to be there to help you along uh, this new and wonderful journey that you're starting. And to everybody else who calls local home, uh, thanks so much, guys. Again, happy to be sharing with you. Uh, Come back next week. We're going to be wrapping up our Lent series and then getting into Easter the following week after that. Um, I hope that this I hope this series we've been doing as a church has been fruitful in your own lives. I know it has been for me, and as a church, we're we've been seeing some really awesome things. And so uh, really excited for next week. We'll be hearing from uh Darren Milley as he talks about the sixth day of Holy Week. And then the following week after that, we have Caleb who's gonna be sharing with us about uh the resurrection on Easter. So come back next time and we are uh Yeah, looking forward to seeing you. Thanks, guys.